All right, we are live. Welcome back to your Friday edition of Elevate Your Grind brought to you by the Cannabis Lab. I am your host, Todd Rosales, and we have one of my favorite guests here on the show today. Uh, We'll get into that in just a second. Folks, I hope you enjoyed yesterday's brands discussion on leveraging technology to grow and scale your business. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. We had four excellent technology professionals here. That is my background, so I tend to nerd out on those conversations, but it was so enjoyable. I hope everybody learned something from it. Um, again, we're going to continue to be doing these awesome panels throughout the rest of the summer. We are going to go back in person. So if you happen to be in Florida, if you live in Florida, hit us up. We'd love to have you. Our next event is going to be, I believe on June 17th, and it will actually be an investing focus event. Holy crap. How appropriate for today's today's discussion. Didn't realize, but we're going to have that on June 17th and I'm really looking forward to it. Folks, um, if you missed any of our conversations this week, we had some awesome, awesome guests. You can find those on Monday. They'll be up on youtube.com slash elevate your grind or audio version anywhere you find your podcast. All right. My guest today is absolutely one of my favorite guests on the show. In fact, she is so much my favorite guest because today she officially becomes our most frequented guest. Yes, I know it's only been three appearances, but we've only been doing the show for a year and a half, folks, and we got a lot of people in interview. So coming back for her third appearance and more than anybody else on the show is my guest, and I'm going to call her my friend, Emily Paxia. Emily, thanks for joining us. God, thank you for such a kind introduction, and I always love being on the show. You, I love your content, and it's, um, it's very nice to be here again. Well, you, you and Morgan are like two of the nicest people in the industry. And honestly, when we first met, I mean, I look at myself and, and Rosie and I have these conversations all the time about imposter syndrome. And I remember you were just so nice and, and bringing Morgan into the fold and how great Morgan was to talk to. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I'm just some idiot in my, in my home office with a camera and a microphone who asks very inquisitive questions because I'm curious and here I am. You're like, yo, text me this or do that. And I'm just like, oh my God, like, are we friends? It was very weird to me. So I'm like, you are such a genuine person, which is why I love having you on the show, but you're also like one of the leaders of the cannabis industry. So it's crazy to me. Yeah. Well, you get, you get to see the nice side of me. My dad always said, it's nice to be nice to the nice. I mean, I don't know if I'm always, I'm, I think I am a universally kind person. Cause I, I definitely have a lot of empathy, but, um, I, Morgan always says I have a flamethrower in my back pocket, so <laughs> watch out. It's not a, it's not ambiguous when I'm not happy with how something's going, but I really do enjoy. I mean, I think the reason I also appear to be nice is because I genuinely enjoy being in this industry. I love what I do. And so um, when you love what you do, I think this is something I've been talking a lot about is having an attitude of abundance, especially coming out of this uh, pandemic. Um, the gratitude I have that we have the ability to get back out into the world and and do all the work that we love doing in person is like, I feeling very like overflowing with gratitude for that. So I'm feeling like I want to spread that around. So yeah. I'm jealous of you because I see you and Rosie are back on the road starting to to hit the markets and everything else. I see your secret Illuminati cannabis meetings you guys go to out (laughs) in the desert. And and I'm jealous because as we were talking before the show started, I'm in the red zone for my second child. So so I've been grounded as the world's opening up. So my, my pandemic will end June, July, or sorry, July, as opposed to, but I'm sitting here and I've seen you guys hit the, hit the airports already. And I've got to tell you, we're going to get into the fun stuff and like all the actual industry stuff for, for the first 10 minutes. I'm just going to talk about how jealous I am of you. Right. Because I see you and Rosie on the ground in Vegas at the cookies opening. 
And I'm just like, I sit there and I don't look at you as like, oh, these are two titans of the industry going to support one of their clients and one of their portfolio companies. I'm like, oh my God, my friends are at the cookies opening. Why am I not there with them? So I have to say, I get so jealous of you too, but I think that's kind of how this industry is, right? We're all so passionate and love this industry. And we all, like you said, the, the abundance, and we're all trying to lift each other up that we do become friends. So it's like, I think that, and I'm like, oh, wait a second. That's Emily and Rosie. They're like Titans. And I'm like, wait a second. I was just texting with Rosie like yesterday. So how much fun was that? It had to be a great trip, especially being you guys have been locked up for so long. Yes. I mean, Rosie and I throughout the pandemic had multiple attempted uh, trips to do something. And every time we did the pandemic would like flare up again and we'd be grounded. And, you know, it's uh, it was an exercise in patience, but we got out there. We, we did have the ability to go to trailblazers in Sedona. That was actually my birthday gift to myself. I treated myself to that event because I really had always wanted to go. And I know you and I shared a dear friend in Keegan, from work and he always wanted me to go and I never went. And, you know, it's one of those things that I think the pandemic was a wake up call and a reminder, like do the thing, go do the thing. Don't say, I mean, you know, it's hard to say yes to everything, but sometimes you should say yes. And so that was my treat. Sedona was amazing. It was great to see people again, um, to be back out there and just networking and talking to people, taking a hike, like had a beautiful morning hike with Rosie Carson. That's what I was most jealous of. Like the panels and everything else are cool, but I have this beautiful platform where it's like, if I miss a cool panel, I reach out to them. I'm like, we're going to recreate this because I didn't get to see it. Right. But then I see you guys do the hike and I'm like, the conversation on that hike must have been so cool. And that's something you can't recreate anywhere else. It's so true. Yeah. So we had, um, yeah, Carson from banks, the founder of banks. I know you know her and, um, Uh you know, she and I were just catching up about her business, about, you know, fundraising, about what it's like to be a VC. So there was a lot of sharing of information. So she's such an inspirational founder. Um, also, Jamie Mandola was there and he's, you know, heir and now Mercer Park, the SPAC with um, Glass House. And so we were talking about all kinds of things like California and brands. And, you know, there's just a lot that it's, and it didn't feel like work. It felt like we were taking a beautiful walk and talking about things we cared about. So that was amazing. And then <laughs> due to some travel things, Rosie and I decided to drive to Las Vegas, which <laughs> was an adventure in its own right. And we listened to the GTI earnings call in the car on the way. And like, this is how obsessed we are with this industry. We're listening to the GTI earnings call, listening to the GTI earnings call playlist, like doing like fist bumps, listening to Anthony Georgiatis talk about their balance sheet. <laughs> and then we get to Vegas and then it's like cookies opening, mind blown. I have never seen, I mean, this industry gets me turned up every day, but like 645, we got to go see the store. Uh, ben Kohler very generously invited us to join him to go see it at 2.15 in the morning, which was so cool. Like talk about an inside look and got to see it in its pristine condition before the crowds descended upon it. But there were crowds, by the way, outside already at that time. Yeah. And then we went back at 6.45 in the morning and there was like a full-blown party. You can see the video footage. Like I took some, I posted it to Twitter um, and I just, we got to be front row for the cutting, the ribbon cutting and like hearing Rick Ross just being like the Vegas strips never going to be the same baby. Like it was, it was electric. And I mean, people are into that brand and I think they're into like what burner stands for. And I just, it's just so fun to see that level of resonance. Uh, Cause it's just, 
everything like that, it just crystallizes where this industry is headed. And I, I can't, I can't get over it. So no, I agree. I mean, at the end of the day, folks, everything that, that, you know, Emily mentioned is work for her. It, it's part of your job, but it's yes. also, you know, the fun part. Listen, I'm, there's plenty of paperwork and due diligence and, and all the boring stuff, but you know what, when you put your head down and you do that stuff, you get to reap the rewards. And I know you talk about, you know, doing the work and everything else. And there's two big things I know you're huge on and you share these on Twitter a lot. You know, I, I I've seen the second one more than the first one, but the, the first one may be more Morgan's bag, which was hashtag take the meeting. And then I also see you a lot with hashtag be in the room. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think those are two very important mottos to follow by. And I've tried to adopt that more too, where it's, as you get busier and busier, you tend to try to push aside things that you don't deem important. But mm -hmm. if you don't actually take the time to understand it, how can you really make that judgment, right? So that's why, you know, I love that take the meeting and then the be in the room, right? There's a lot of times where we have teams, we have, it's like, I, I don't think I need to be there, but you'd be surprised the value you can add when you're in the room. So I'd love you to kind of explain those two mantras and really how they've, they've paid off for you because clearly, you know, you're at the cookies opening and you're doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so hashtag take the meeting was a Poseidon mantra because we, we used to get really frustrated where we felt like we would go into a meeting with one intention or like objective and something would not. And so, like, sometimes, especially being a fund manager and early in this industry, people would kind of like bait and switch you. Like this is the purpose of this meeting to get you in the room. And then it's like really something else. And, <clears throat> you know, either like they think that they pre pretend to be an interested investor or whatever. And then they get in there and they're like actually pitching you some, crazy idea that they have. Or... I have a business plan for the end of this call. I mean, that's <laughs> I can't wait to hear stuff, it. So. <laughs> um, so, but you know, after a while, I think we just, you know, took a step back and we realized that actually it didn't matter no matter what it was. Almost every meeting we take, there's information that we gather out of that meeting. And so that's hashtag take the meeting. And, and sometimes it's like a circuitous route that it brings you on to get to the thing that you're actually meant to arrive at. So like, I'm, you know, like a chance encounter on an airplane where you're stuck for five hours talking to a new person in the industry that you never met before and you're, there's no Wi-Fi and your brain, brain is, this has actually happened. And then it all <laughs> of a sudden, <laughs> and it turns out to be a really great person in the industry who then introduces you to a big deal that you end up doing like 11 months later. Yeah. And it's like, you just never know. So that's where hashtag. And by the way, that flight was after I had gone to a conference in Toronto and I had kind of decided the conference was a complete and utter bust. And I was very angry actually and frustrated. And when I got on that flight, I was like, Ugh. um, it was especially because Tahira Ramatula and I were supposed to give a talk in the morning and it was the morning that Canopy announced the investment from Constellation. And oh, wow. At the same time that we were supposed to be giving our talk, Bruce Linton was talking. It was like, forget it. We were, yeah. we had like three people in the room, like, okay, thanks so much. Fast forward, we know the long game. But anyway, um, the, the thing I'll say, oh, but then be in the room became really important. And this is something Rosie and I started talking about, especially during the pandemic. Um, but as a female, that's where being in the room came from, like being at the table, getting invited into the room where the big decisions are getting made. We feel very fortunate and acknowledge our privilege that we've had access to really the biggest leaders of this industry and get to be in the room and 
hear about the decisions that are being made and learning and sharing and and actually being asked to contribute in those meetings. And um, as a female in business, it is not lost on me that that is a true uh, gift. So be in the room and and just and that's our whole thing is like keep showing up, be in the room, make your contribution, and and that's how you get to keep being in the room. And so that's our that's our thing. And so for us, the room is really like the dis, the like decision makers of the industry. We want to be in those rooms. So that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's yeah. funny. I don't want to say that I I. I don't realize that obviously I'm not a woman, so I haven't gone through that, but it's interesting to me, you know, being not too much younger than you and Rosie, only a handful of years. And now having, you know, a daughter and and a second one on the way, I look at this industry and there's such a powerful group of women in it that support each other. For someone like me, it would be an absolute honor to be in the room with you and Rosie. So, you know, flipping the script. So I hope that because you guys have cut your teeth and made this effort that it kind of changes where it doesn't matter if you're a woman or not. And I'd like to, I like to think this industry is working that way. Clearly I don't have the experience or the prerequisites to understand that, but I'd like to think that this industry is hopefully leading the charge to change that because, you know, when I look at the top 20 or 50 women in cannabis, I look at it, I'm like, oh, those are kind of the top 20 or 50 people in cannabis. They just happen to be women. Right. You know, and then I, I feel honored to have you all on my show, but you know, you see a much higher macro view, you know, there's so many other things I wanted to talk about, but every time we get into conversation, it's like, that's interesting. I want to expand on that. Screw. Mm -hmm. I literally have a page of notes and then more on the whiteboard there. (laughs) So, but do you think, you know, the effort that you and Rosie and Carson and Wanda James and and Shonda and everybody else that, that we know are being in the room and, and putting that work in that it might flip the script and, when I say this, I don't mean it in a negative way. We're going to stop seeing the women in cannabis panels and we're just going to see women on the panels because we don't need to segregate it out. It doesn't make a difference anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that that's, that's the goal, right? And we're, we're actually working on some ways to try to help to, you know, share, share how we've done this, you know, because it, it's not easy, but I think our industry is better. There are progressive minds in the industry. And I do, I always say that like, you have to have your male allies because they are the ones who have the easier access points and traditionally speaking. And so you have to have your male allies and just, and, and they bring you into the room. A lot of times. I, I mean, I hate to say it. I love, I can't, I agree with you though. I can't wait for, I mean, we are already making the room, right? So that'll be the way it changes, but it's just going to, it's still, we still have a lot of work to do to get there where we're the ones who have the room that we're inviting people to, but you know, that's the exciting thing about cannabis too, is like, it's, it's creating generational, you know, wealth and access to, um, being in the pole position. So you can be the ones to be the arbiters of, of who can be at the top and driving things. So we all just have to keep pushing on it. And I do think that a lot of the women that I work with have this, this sense of let's pull each other along and and get each other in there. So that feels really good, but it's, we still do, we definitely have work to do. And it's, it's not, it's not because I, I necessarily think there's any bad intentions or the intention to leave people out. I think it's just, you know, implicit things and, and just the infrastructure that's existed for so long that, um, that has created those different access points. So we gotta, we gotta keep working and, you know, um, it's, it's gotta keep the States have to keep doing a lot more around, you know, equity in every shape and form, but, but we're getting there. So, yeah. Yeah. 
No, I think we're certainly heading in the right direction. I think it's always hard to ask someone, hey, what's it like to be a trailblazer, right? You know, because you may not see it as you're doing it. Um, yeah. Let's circle back to that Vegas conversation because that's a market that I've done some work in. And I'm really, I look at Vegas and I feel like, and again, I can make blind assumptions with no repercussions because I don't have a fund, but I feel like Vegas is really going to lead the charge on social consumption for the rest of the country because cannabis is very in Nevada. Cannabis is very centralized in Las Vegas and in Reno and Tahoe because Nevada is centralized in Las Vegas, Reno and Tahoe. Right. So when we look at Vegas and everything with Vegas has this over the top social aspect to it, I feel like Vegas is going to lead to charge for social cannabis consumption. Am I right? Are you starting to see this? Because I know that they're really they're really getting into the weeds with consumption lounges now. So I want I'm interested to know if that model is going to be what permeates around to the rest of the country. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, many, many years ago now, I'm going to date myself. CBS did their big market testing. CBS, the media the channel, the network, um, did their program. <laughs> like, is this even a thing? Is like, it weird that we have to explain who CBS is now? Yeah, like, like, there's so much streaming. It's like CBS, one of the original four networks or three <laughs> networks. Yeah, so I used to do consulting for, you know, like Rainbow Media, like AMC, IFC, and Viacom and all of those properties. But CBS- I'm Which I'm jealous of, yes. Crushed it, yeah. CBS crushed it. And they started doing their market research in Las Vegas, which is the cross section of America. So they like literally figured out all of the programming that would hit on like every demographic and like sweet spot of America. Smart, 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 smart. Um, So I think if cannabis can figure out the cross section of America at Vegas, it could be a really interesting test market. But it's funny when I checked into the hotel in Vegas, um, they very explicitly were, they were like, no marijuana in this hotel, no marijuana consumption on the property. And I was like, entiendo, no problemo. And, um, I'm wondering if that will drive more consumption lounges, but it's tough because Vegas's whole thing is like, keep people in the casinos, keep people yeah. in the buildings. Cause they want you to shop. They want you to see shows and they want you to, you know, lose your money. And so, I think this is going, it's going to be an interesting tension, but it's definitely clear from when you see Planet 13, when you see the cookies on the strip, that these are destinations, these are tourist destinations as well. Yeah. So we could very well see this being kind of like a tourist destination to go and have, it's almost like people used to go to Amsterdam to do that. Maybe people go to Vegas and it's going to be this amazing, like I would be bummed if Vegas doesn't like leverage this and like, you know how I feel about karaoke and like turn this into some fun stuff. I mean, so yes, is the short answer, but it is going to be an interesting tension with the casinos and the big hoteliers because they want everybody to stay right there in their pockets. So maybe it'll drive changes in their policies too. I mean, they're pretty conservative. I think they struggle because I think that people, uh, that drinking is more a benefit to the casinos than cannabis consumption because of the decisions people make when they drink (laughs) tend to be um, actually better for the casino, worse for the people. And so I think there's like, I think there's some thinking around that, but it'll be, I I do think it'll be a great test market for that, that consumption experience. There's so much I'm interested in with that. And it's funny that you mentioned the hotel saying, you know, no cannabis or no marijuana, um, you yeah. know, when they host some of the largest cannabis conferences in the world. But even beyond that, you go to those conferences and you smell it in most places. And candidly, 
you know, again, I can be a little bit more open with, with everything I do. I've, I've smoked right side, right outside a lot of Vegas hotels, right at the valet that for some reason that always ended up being my spot. Yeah. Um, you smoke it walking down the strip. No one really says anything, but you know, they, they tell you what the rules are. However, you go inside the casino and it's one of the few places where I'm sitting next to somebody smoking a cigarette. Right. So yeah. that's, I always kind of use that as my moniker for social consumption, where I'm like, I'm not going to smoke a joint anywhere where a cigarette's not allowed, not because it's the same thing, because it's invasive and it has smoke around it. But if you're going to let someone smoke a cigarette or a cigar two yeah. feet to my right, and you can't spark up a joint, like I know there's differences, but I don't see the difference in that. And I would like to think that Vegas should be one of the first people to come around. I don't know, but it's definitely going to be interesting to see, especially when you have cookies now right on the strip. Like there, it, cannabis has infiltrated the strip folks. It's not behind the strip anymore. We're there. So it'll it's be there. very interesting to view. You know, um, smoke them if you got them, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, de- I mean, it's the only, the really, the thing I really don't like about Vegas is honest to God, the cigarette smoke. Cause I always yeah. feel like crap after being there for a couple of days. And especially as a female, it gets in your hair and you're just like, I never, and you have like nice clothes and you walk through the casino and you smell like an ashtray. And it's like, yeah. I, yeah. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's such a bizarre dichotomy, but. It is interesting, but I'm excited yeah. to see where it goes. I, I'm, I have friends out there. On that note, too, we, you know, we talked about cookies. I'm actually getting better at these transitions. We talked about cookies and you talk about them being one of the biggest brands in cannabis. In fact, I literally just saw a post online. uh, The comedian Donnell Rawlings had a group of him and Chappelle and a bunch of other people. And right in the front was Michael Che in a cookie hoodie. Right. And yeah, yeah, I I know he's a frequent of the the higher standard store in New York. But, you know, to see a national comedian on Instagram sporting a cookies hoodie, that's that's a horse of a different color there, right? So as we look towards cookies is really emerging as one of the premier brands in cannabis, right? They're very associated with hip hop and cannabis and Bernard does yeah. a good job. Um, are we going to start to see more cookies coming out? Are they going to appeal to different demographics? How valuable and how important is branding at this point in the industry? Well, we have a lot of operators, we have a lot of cultivators, but I would say outside of the big people, a lot of people just say, hey, you know what we put in the market sells, you know, so we're just going to continue to grow and scale and put more into the market. You don't see a huge amount of, of really just trying to create another cookie. So I'm interested to see what the value of brands are going to be going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing this industry really hasn't nailed is that building a brand is a very thoughtful and strategic process and it takes time and it takes real clarity on your target demographic and burner. I mean, the thing about burner is that burners demographic is the most attractive cannabis demographic. It's the Pareto principle, which is that they are the group that consumes the most. They're not the biggest group of people, but it's the group that consumes the most. It's 80, 20. So whereas like, I'm not a great target demographic. I mean, I'm great target demographic, but I, my consumption pattern is not going to keep businesses like going crazy. Cause I'm just a, I've never developed a huge tolerance. I'm a light consumer always have been, I'm a consistent consumer, but I'm a light consumer. And so you're looking for people who can cons- take down product. And so, um, so burners hit it out of the park. He's square in resonating with his demographic. He, I mean, he resonates with people because he's authentic. Yeah. I hate that word. It's been co-opted by marketers for way too long, but you know what I'm getting at. He's a real dude. Uh-huh. 
and he, you know, he eats his own cooking. And so I think that, or he eats his own cookies, but I think that he is a big, he's a big uh, ambassador for his brand. He lives his brand. He is his brand. And, and what his brand stands for is quality genetics and also this like cool lifestyle. Right. And, and it works. Uh, the things I think that haven't worked is this like mashing together of like, let's take this and let's take this and push it together. Um, and also this assumption that the, like the cannabis enthusiasts are not as price sensitive or looking for to try new things. I mean, we're still heavily in a discovery mode in this industry. And so I think people are watching to see what else is new. They'll try different things. And it's interesting. I saw a conversation with um, uh, several founders from the craft beer industry about five years ago at the Roth, maybe four at the Roth conference. And one of the things that they articulated that I think was a great watch out for us in our industry is the following craft beer is a brand. The whole category of craft beer is a brand. What is difficult is to drive loyalty within the brand of craft beer. I, I hope this is resonating, but it's like you make an amazing IPA, your ballast point. Guess who else makes an amazing IPA? Lagunitas. Guess who else makes yeah. an amazing IPA? Mirror Pond. And it's like, how do you, and look at me, I, I, I'm a, I actually really like beer, so I do know my brands, but like, I think people also like to, but see that I've already, I've tried all of those IPAs. So like, Ballast Point, they lost me on that because I'm just like, I like IPAs or whatever, you know, whatever my new beer of the yeah. month is. And so then I'm, I'm, I'm venturing throughout the entire category and very seldom am I like calling out the brand that I want. I'm, it's more the type of beer that I want. And so cannabis has to watch that because we have to figure out how to create more of a connection with people because otherwise we're just going to say, I want a forbidden fruit or I want a sativa blend or, and then it's like, what tier? Okay. Something in the same tier. You know what I mean? Like I'm not drinking Budweiser for what it's worth. It's a waste of my time, but you know, that's the difference. So does that make sense? That, no, that makes total sense. I'm actually, I've never heard anyone put it that way. I had a similar conversation about cannabis, but essentially what I'm understanding, like you said, is craft beer is the brand. And then the subcategories is no matter where you go, you're going for a craft beer and you're going for that IPA. So it doesn't really matter the person who's manufacturing it. It's just that it's a craft beer and it's an IPA. And that's the brand that you have an affinity brand that you have an affinity for. Yeah. That makes purple, purple, it makes perfect sense. I can't say the actual word. Apparently yeah. I had a conversation with, um, one of your friends, Jocelyn of headset recently. And, uh, I don't, I think she put out the article or she talked about it. And then I wrote a, a little article on it, um, called that. We don't have brand affinity in cannabis, but we do have strain affinity. Right. So to your same point, and I noticed this, in my own buying behaviors, right. We have, we don't even have that many different places down here to Flo in Florida to buy from. But if right. I go to a dispensary for the first time, I'm looking for a specific strain or a cross of that strain to try, mm -hmm. right? I'm not looking for what do you guys grow well or what do you recommend? I'm going in there for the thing that I know I like that happens to be manufactured by that particular um, brand or, or cultivator or whoever it is. How are these brands because some of them have done it how do they break out of the strain affinity into brand affinity because what i see and you know what i do for a living with spring big i get a lot in, involved in a lot of different aspects of marketing i see a lot of people promoting products this yeah. product that product nugs rso it's like hey man 
I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but everybody puts nugs out there. Everybody puts yeah. pre-rolls out there. Everybody's got the same shit as you in very similar containers with different colors. Yeah. I always have this thing, and this is what my article is about. Yes, I am plugging myself. I have a show I can do that. Is yes. that brands evoke a feeling, right? Yes. A brand needs to evoke a feeling. And right now, strains can easily do that, but brands are not evoking feelings. And I try to tell the people that I work with, like, hey, Stop sending a picture of your quality nugs because 19 other people are sending those out. And what am I doing with your product? What am I doing after I use your product? Where am I using your product? Who am I using your product with? And so many people are afraid to take that leap to take their product out of the image or out of the advertisement. I'm not saying take your logo and color scheme out. Just take your freaking pre-roll out and go in this lifestyle brand. Do you believe, am am I kind of on the right track or am I just a crazy guy in his office shouting something he knows nothing about? Well, this is where, this is where real branding, well, first of all, just to close the loop on the cookies thing. I mean, that's where he nailed it. He branded yeah. his strains. He's got the Peyton. Um, oh my God. Gary the NBA. Payton. Gary, Payton? Yes, Gary Payton. He has um, Rosé. He's got, you know, I mean, Collins Avenue. Yes. And it all, and what does that do? It resonates with you. Right. And it also resonates with his brand. And then people are like, Oh, I live in Miami. I want to try Collins. I mean, I live in South Florida. I want to try Collins Avenue. I mean, just cause. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, like me, I have strains. I like, like Tahira and I always talk about forbidden fruit is our favorite strain. I want a candle. It smells so good. I love it. Um, but you know, it's, it's like, I'm a very strain, um, specific person, but I also am very focused on like the sourcing of it, like the quality of the cultivation. But I think this is, but you're, what you're talking about is what really then starts to get interesting in branding, which is about creating a brand around an experience around it and what you connect to. Like one of my favorite brands in California is this brand called Besito. It resonates with me. It means little kiss. I mean, obviously my friend started it. I think she's brilliant. Um, and she, creates the, like the packaging, like everything about it is like what resonates with my lifestyle. And it's like little tiny, cute joints and, um, pre-rolls. And, and so then I, and it has like all this cute stuff and it's very flirty and like, but it's also, it's like pushing the edge on things and I love it. So that's a great example of one. And that's like, for me, really important because it like fits into my lifestyle. It represents who I am. I, if I carry it around with me, if I offer it to someone, it feels like, I'm offering something that's like an extension of who I am. And so that is how you start building brands, but it has to come in kind of more of the finished goods, like the the packet as Cy Scott from headset calls it cannabis packaged goods. This is where branding is going to really, really resonate. And that's when it's like, it's, it represents something about what I stand for and what, what I'm looking for in the world. And it's like much, much bigger than just cannabis. It's about our whole lifestyle. And I think there's other, you know, the other thing is too, it's like everybody talks about indoor grown cannabis. I think that what is coming next in California, to your point about consumption lounges in Vegas, I think in California, we're probably going to see some really cool things like what my friends at Spark are doing, um, where they have this beautiful property in Sonoma and there's going to be you know social experiences available in a beautiful property, just like you would in the wine industry. And I think that creating experiences around that where you get, then get to see how the cannabis is grown outdoor in this beautiful environment, like biodynamic grown cannabis, like that creates a whole other experience around it. So you can create then a whole story around a brand, as long as people can have something that they can kind of like sink their hooks into and get, and get familiar and, and create affinity for. 
when you and Rosie start getting invited on those experiences, like I'm gonna be very upset if I don't get an email in my inbox. Like you will get an email. That just sound no, it sounds like so much fun. And I'm, that's where I'm excited to, to get to with this industry. But it is still interesting to me when we look at, at something like California and you talk about the brands that that resonate with you and they resonate with your lifestyle. And if you were to give it to somebody, it feels like an extension of your personality or anything else. It is interesting because from what I understand, a lot of the top brands in the San Francisco market or just North Carolina, uh, North, Northern California are not in the top 10 or top five in the LA market. And it's actually, you know, you've got almost a NorCal versus SoCal within one state, which happens to be, you would think the Bud Light or the Budweiser of of cannabis would come out of California when it just seems that there are just so many good brands are all fighting each other. You know, I have good friends who who run the company Dreamfields that represents Jeter, right? Yeah. You know, they just overtook Lowell for the number one selling pre-roll. But I guarantee you in another market, Lowell is probably still number one, right? I've got to talk about the Jeter guys. I've known these guys since middle school. So, yeah. but you know, Jeter, do you does that a good indication of just the cannabis market as a whole where everyone is still fighting for kind of that number one spot and it is really more regional brand affinity than anything that is even statewide or national at this point? Yeah, no, I mean, the two, I mean, NorCal and SoCal could not be more different in terms of markets. It's one of the things I love about California because I do feel like it is also like um, it gives you a good read on what's going to go on in the rest of the country. And so, you know, NorCal is definitely, yeah, it just fits like the different lifestyle preferences. And so you're right. Like Jeter's huge down in SoCal. When I, when I go down there, I'm like, holy smokes, this brand is popping off. Um, yeah. And then like, I see fuzzies does better in like the more NorCal kind of going down the state market and they're similar products, but it's like, I feel that there's a, Yeah. And it's great. It's good to see that things are resonating different in different markets. And that teaches us a lot about how brands get different um, velocity and momentum. So um, like I have a belief that beverages are actually going to do better on the East Coast and and like Illinois than maybe they have in California because we have so much access out here to everything. It's I mean, it is truly the most competitive cannabis brand market in the world. And there's some of the most amazing, I mean, the product we get here, the quality of it is like seriously hard to rival anywhere else. But I think that, um, when you, you think about like, when I think about my friends back East, for them to have access to a cannabis beverage that we have, you know, we have like wonder, we have can, we have all these things. And now can is in Illinois. And I just think when I think about my friends, I think they're going to be like, they're going to flip a wig when they see cannabis beverages. It's yep. going to blow up. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you because I think California, I don't want to say has been numb, but cannabis has been such a part of the culture in California for so long that it is a lot more accepted and normalized. Whereas when the East Coast, we're we're converting alcohol users more so we're we're bringing the, the, the black market cannabis consumers, hopefully out of the black market, but the new consumers are converted alcohol consumers. So I 100% agree with you. I think beverages are going to crush it on the East Coast. And I would say, less historically mature markets, whereas, you know, California is still relatively new, but from a cannabis standpoint, it it is very, very mature, right? So I definitely agree with you. You had talked about the quality of product in California. And I recently um, made this analogy and I think it's perfect. California cannabis is New York pizza. I love it. And bagels. (laughs) Right? Love it. Yes. 
Because we have good pizza down here in Florida. Don't get me wrong. But when I fly up to New York and I walk up to a window and I grab a slice, it blows my mind. And you realize, oh, yeah, we have good pizza back home, but it's not this. I think California cannabis is the exact same analogy. I think that's right. I think that's right. Oh, my God. New York pizza, New York bagels. Pairs perfectly with California cannabis, in my opinion. Really, it quite does. Yeah, we got to get so while you know, I will use look at look at me with these transitions while we're on this. I believe and I think I made this bold assumption we have I want to get back to your bold assumption from New Year's because you probably don't remember it, but it's looking good. Um, My bold assumption is that New York, when it reaches maturity, will be the largest cannabis market in the world. Just New York by itself, forget the rest of the country. So I am super pumped. I have people, you know, who are cannabis, you know, cannabis loyalists from California and everything else. You really think they're going to take California? Yeah, I think they're going to take California. I think they're going to destroy California. I don't know if the quality is going to be better, but from a volume standpoint, exponentially. Again, am I the crazy person in the office or are we 100% right as New York becomes a trendsetter for everything else in the world? Is Are they going to be the largest cannabis market? And Honestly, is most of that going to be in the five boroughs? Uh, I think I could not be more excited than I am about New York State having legal cannabis. It's like I think it's going to explode. And, you know, I'm an investor in a company that has a store in Manhattan. And like, I think it's going to be one of the highest grossing retail stores in the entire world. You know, I mean, how can it not be? How can it not be? And and I mean, I just think that when you think like when I lived in New York and I think about the amount of cool shit that goes on there, it's like there's no, by the way, can I swear? Um, there, yes. there, there's no end to the creativity, to the excitement. I, I was cracking up because Fran Lebowitz was like, since they passed this law, she's like, it's just people are just smoke a pot on the street. And I'm like, and she's like, I feel like I'm having a contact high. And I'm like, let's not start with that. But I'm here for your like, your like acknowledgement of how many people were just like waiting for the day that this happened. And, you know, I think what's going to go on in Brooklyn, like lived in Brooklyn, lived in, you know, Manhattan, lived in, or worked in lower Manhattan, lived in Queens. I mean, the, the amount of creativity and excitement I have around what's going to happen with New York cannabis is like with the confluence of art and music and just the grittiness of New York that I love so much. I think that it's just going to get, it's going to get really cool and I'm excited for it. So, I mean, that's my whole thing is like, let's not, let's not make cannabis boring. Let's have, let's keep cannabis cool. And I think New York will help that. Yeah. On that note, I mean, you just put this idea in my head, just all the different things I hear about New York and, and really just with the timing with cannabis, right? So, you know, I listen a lot of, I get my news from comedians, which I recommend nobody get their news from comedians <laughs> because let's be honest, they're there to be funny. But, you know, you, everyone, for so many people are like, New York's dead, New York's going to die. First of all, people, New York will never die. It's, it's no. not going to happen. It, it, yeah. might, it might get punched in the gut, but it will come back stronger. Yeah. Um, I think- with people and companies moving out of New York, temporarily, we might see some drop in real estate. There is talk about New York going back to being more of an artist haven, right? Again, that, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's going to drop that much to where we're going to have that bohemian vibe that it used to have back in like the eighties and everything else like that. But I can almost see like a perfect storm of a creative renaissance coming where you have more creatives and more artists and everybody else 
funneling into the city and, and the outer boroughs there, combine that with the legalization and access to cannabis. And realistically, we are looking at like a sec second, third, fourth coming of a renaissance out of New York. I really think having these conversations that all of the different things here are leading towards that, that we're really looking at creative renaissance in New York. And I can't wait for it personally. Cannot wait. And I think that one of the things I missed the most moving to San Francisco, which is pretty homogenous, it's getting actually, I'm not sad that a lot of the tech people move to Austin. It like does not disappoint me at all. I'm like, see you later. Um, I'm excited that I'm seeing more diversity than I had since like when I first moved here, there was more diversity and then it got worse and it became just like a homogenous tech hub of like white people and being a white person, I'm a contributor to that, but you know, um, it's a, I'm happy to see more diversity. I live in the upper hate. I live right around the corner from the grateful dead house. I'm happy to see more diversity in my neighborhood, which is a neighborhood that people stay in. It's a true neighborhood. Yeah. Um, there are people who've lived here for decades and decades. And I love the richness of that, but I'm happy to see more diversity coming back into the city. And I missed that. That was something that struck me so much when I, I was living in Brooklyn for three months, uh, two summers ago and, um, in Fort green. And I was like, oh, this is what it's like to be amongst yeah. a mix of people. And it's really refreshing. And it's so great to just talk with people who have a different kind of slice of life than your own. And so um, I'm very hopeful. I mean, Illinois still does not have an equity applicant open in that market. It's insane. And so I know New York was looking to Illinois because they did do things well. That is not a thing they did well. I'm really hopeful that we're going to see more diversity in this New York market. And I think that will make a lot, will create a lot of richness in what comes out of cannabis there. And I couldn't agree with you more. I think that we're entering into a renaissance phase in these cities where maybe kind of like privileged but boring people left because they were scared and it's like other people kind of like dug in and were like no I actually love living in a city I love the reasons you live in a city which is to be close to a cultural center and I think yeah. this could create some great um reintroduction of mixing it up a little bit so I'm I'm hopeful for that it, it's funny I um you know I, I I'm from New Jersey on a bridge and tunnel crowd yeah. but I, I go New to Jersey. New York <laughs> I go to New York often and, you know, I go there for business a lot and, and it's a hustle up there. I mean, shit, try set up two meetings cross town and you're late to one. It is not a fun experience. And I got to a point before the pandemic where I'm like, all right, I'm done with New York. I don't need to go there this past year, not traveling. I literally, the first place I wanted, I'm like, I got to get up to New York. I miss the city. I miss the pizza, the food, the culture. It, it's crazy. Like, um, you, it's everybody, whether you're from there or not, you just have this love hate relationship with the city where I'll be hundred percent honest. I hate it for work because it's a grind and you got to be places on time. It's not fun to get around, but when I have no schedule and it's nice out, there is no better, no, no other place in the world that I'd rather be. I remember one of my favorite experiences with cannabis was right after I graduated college, we went up there for the opening of the new Yankee stadium as Yankees, Red Sox. And a few of my friends, we went up and we, you know, we, we did the backpack thing and we got some cannabis. And I remember wandering around the streets of New York, you know, after smoking. Oh, uh, what time is your night? Do you have a call at 12, by the way? So I know when to end this. Thanks, <laughs> Don't mind us, everybody. Keep We're going. just live figuring out how long we can go. Yeah. But my favorite experiences was consuming cannabis and wandering the streets of Manhattan and going to Katz's Deli and then ending up in Central Park and really just exploring the city. It was just you know, it was a whole different experience. And that's what made me love 
the plant so much. That was one of the first experiences where I started looking at it is not just my adult use and to, to make super troopers 10 times funnier than it already is. Right. So it, I'm very excited for New York to really embrace cannabis. I think the food scene there, the experiential scene there, it's just going to integrate nicely. What I'm very excited about to go more on a tangent, how far away are we from you, Morgan and I going to a bills game and stopping at a dispensary before the tailgate? I mean, well, two things. I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, I agree with you. When we go to New York, we're usually running around, literally running around that city. And poor Morgan, literally. he... Crosstown meetings, the worst. Yeah. Crosstown <laughs> traffic, forget it. Like Jim, like Jimi Hendrix said. But um, Morgan is a, uh, he is a profuse sweater in the summertime in New York, so especially when he wears a suit. We have been spotted in Starbucks where I'm shoving napkins into the collar of his shirt to try to get him <laughs> sweating through. Cotton office. suits are a lie. They don't oh. help. A suit is still hot no matter what it's made of. Yeah. Meanwhile, I get to wear dresses. It's probably like the only time that being a female like pays off from a fashion standpoint in terms of comfort. But um, the other, yeah, I mean, New York is, and it's just like, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. But yes, the Buffalo piece too, Ascend does have a store in Buffalo. Um, that's one of the companies I'm on the um, board of because we acquired the MedMen assets. Um, and the idea of going back to my our hometown and just seeing a cannabis shop open after, you know, all these years and like being a part of that cannabis shop is just going to like, I, I don't know. I feel like yes is the answer. And yes, we should go see a Bills game, especially if Josh Allen is still uh, the QB because oh, he was my QB for fantasy. So we're going. Like I'm, I'm strong. Even if I have to pay for the trip for everybody, we're going because I want to go to a bills game with people from Buffalo. Um, I just think it's going to be fun. I, uh, our bills crushed it this year. I mean, you know, obviously they didn't go to the super bowl, but it was a fun season to watch. It was good. It was good. We were, it was like kind of old days again, where we were like in the mix. So it was good. Yeah. So on that note, you know, I know that we're getting to the top of the hour here and literally I wanted, I got to talk to you about New York. I wanted to talk about Mexico and all these other places, but real quick, I'm curious to know the sports and sports fans. How, when, when is that group really going to start a more mass consumption of cannabis versus alcohol? Because I think there is a very big population within people that go to sports bars or avid sports fans, go to tailgates and everything else that consume cannabis. And, you know, maybe they do it before they show up, they step out or anything else. It's really not within the circle. So I'm really interested to see when that becomes more normalized in sports culture, that cannabis consumption is just okay, just as okay as the alcohol consumption that we see. Yeah. You know, I'm on the board of this group called athletes for care and it's really important. Love them. Yeah. Yes. He's awesome. Um, it's a very important organization because I think it's the athletes are trying to, you know, kind of take control of their health and wellness as opposed to letting the leagues kind of dictate how they've managed it and then kind of drop it them after. So I think there could be some leading from that side to show. And like, you know, the athletes talk a lot about how cannabis is a part of their recovery from each Mm -hmm. event or training. So I think that's one step. I think the other thing is 
not to go back to Ascend too much, but we have a store right next to the Boston Garden. And I think that we could start seeing some really interesting things happening around that and then going to the garden, going to see the sporting events, going to see concerts. So I think it's a good question because I think there's probably a lot of private consumption of cannabis before you go to a game, but I think that yep. there could be more social experience around that. So I think there's there's something to that. And uh, maybe it'll be Vegas that does it too. If they have the consumption lounges available before events, maybe that's where that all starts to come together. Yeah. So That yeah. was my thought. I thought the Raiders were going to be the team to lead the charge there. When you look and they put a 10,000 square foot club in one of the end zones, like oh how far away is cannabis from being in that stadium? So, yeah, we, we talked about that too. It's true. It's interesting. Yeah. So one more of my bold assumptions before we end it with the one that you made for this year, I think, and I'm starting to see it happen. I said this at the beginning of the year, I believe that Texas will fully legalize cannabis a lot sooner than anybody else expected. Now, I think a lot of people's opinions have changed based on the news that has recently come out of Texas. I made that assumption well before because I know so many cannabis advocates and people in the CBD business that want to be in cannabis so bad, but they're in CBD because that's what they're allowed to. And I see it in Dallas and Houston and Austin and San Antonio and everywhere. And I'm just like, there are too many people working in this industry to not push it forward. Right. So mm -hmm. how far away are we from seeing a real medical program in Texas with, you know, regular levels of, of cannabinoids and everything else and potentially uh, adult use because once Austin has cannabis, that's like the last place I want to travel to that doesn't have weed. So I'm good. We can stop there for a little bit and everyone can make their money before we go federal. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of a bull on Texas. I think there could be some interesting things happening there. It's a look, it's a state where commodities live. It's a state where people are kind of like, don't, you know, let me have my own liberties. It's that libertarian kind of way of thinking about things. And I think that we could see some things happening there, but it's funny. We were planning to take a trip down there to do a, do a check-in because it's been a while since we've been down to Texas and we have some wonderful investors down there and, um, and also have had a chance to go to the state house once before. So I think it's time to do a check-in, but I think it could, I mean, the, the fact that Alabama has a medical cannabis program, right. You know, like I, I tweeted the thing, like, when are we going to change the Mickey, Nicki Minaj song to these states fall like dominoes? It's like, they're going, it's fast. It's crazy. 2021 has been like, just boom, 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 big states, yeah. important states. So I'm here for it. It's, it's been crazy. You know, when Texas opens up again, I think I say we go down there and we're going to check out the cannabis scene and then we're going to do some taco reviews because I just yes. think that would be fun. Um, all yeah. right. So the bold prediction that you made on our new year's special was that safe banking will pass this year. Mm -hmm. We, it seems like they keep trying and it keeps getting better every time. So, yep. uh, I, if I read this correctly, I think, um, representative Perlmutter has brought it back again and it seems yep. to be getting a lot of support. So yep. I'm asking you now, are we sticking with that bold assumption? I feel like it's a dumb question at this point. No, it's not. I mean, this is like the the safe act is the boy that cried wolf. I mean, we could see it and then it goes away. I'm very I, I do think it happens. I think we now have 38 co-sponsors on it, including Susan Collins, who's not known for her progressive views. So I think we're seeing things in the fact that the Senate, you know, we saw Republicans introduce a legalization bill. Um 
I think it's going to get there. So I'm pretty optimistic and I'm hopeful it'll, it'll look good, but directionally it would be very important no matter what form it, it lands. So I'm, I'm here for it. Very cool. Well, I think you're going to be right before the end of the year, Morgan's prediction that, and again, unofficial, it's just opinion that GTI will ring the bell on the NASDAQ before the end of the year. I'm <gasps> curious to see if he's right, but Oof. I think you, I think you got yours right. I will. Oh man, that would be, that would be big. Uh, I love that. Reason to go back to New York. <laughs> yeah, we would have to go back to New York uh, because if, if GTI is ringing the bell, that means a few others will be ringing the bell and I think they'll be first. I do. And I think Morgan, I'm going to, I'm going to support and endorse that uh, bold prediction, but of course, this is just, this is just an opinion. This has no, no advice, nothing, nothing, nothing. So this is just for fun folks. Well, I yeah. might have to fly up for that one, not for the ringing of the bell, just for all the after parties and the fun around it. So yeah. Emily, I've had you for an hour, which honestly felt like 20 minutes this time. Literally I kept going on topics, didn't cover a whole bunch of stuff just because I didn't think we were talking for that long. So <laughs> we're going to have to have you back. We're going to have to talk about Mexico. We're going to have to talk about yes. industrial hemp. Uh, we got to talk about Europe and Latin America. There's so much more to talk about. I have a feeling you're going to continue to be the most frequented guest on this show. So right. I'm excited for that. Uh, looking forward, you know, you, you're back, uh, you're back up in the air. Things are starting to open back up. What are you excited about for the rest of this year? I'm excited for what I think is coming next in California. I think there's a lot of good things happening here. I'm excited to watch how New York unfolds and, Actually, I know just on the quickly on Mexico, like they didn't get their adult use pass, but I think the medical programs moving forward. And I, I think that's a really great thing where Mexico can take back kind of the power around cannabis after, um, you know, our reefer madness campaign so badly tried to kind of create racist uh, ideals around uh, Mexican immigrants. So I'm very uh, happy for them to kind of take control of the plant again in their own right. So lots of good things coming. Very cool. And the last, we'll, we'll end with a little uh, little humor here. Has Peloton reached out to you yet to be an influencer? Because I see the bike in the background of every interview. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have made it through the pandemic without that damn bike. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm like, really want to, uh, yeah, there's some things I have in my mind about how this industry could work with Peloton, but um, there you yeah. Go. I have mine right there. It's just on the other side of the camera. So right there. Hey, <laughs> I went for a run this morning, not the bike, but I did my app workout with the Peloton app. So I'm a pretty devout user. My wife's the same way. I work out in the hot ass garage for some reason, because I'm a glutton for punishment, but that's where the, the punching bag is. So yeah. Emily, thank you very much for being on the show. Um, I might have to reach out to you and do some guest hosting duties. If I need some time off when the kid comes. Ooh. Let me know. I would love it. I'm getting a real mic. So size sending me a real I, at this point with how much you're on the show, I feel like I'm obligated to send you one at this point. No, I've so got one. It's coming today. It's oh, it's okay. actually coming today. So we'll see. All right. So we're gonna have to have another episode just to test out the mic then. There we go. Awesome. Well, thank you, Emily. And thank you to everybody watching at home. This has been another great episode of Elevate Your Grind. It's so much fun to do these with my friends in the industry. Obviously, you see the conversation. I hope you learned something today. If you missed any part of this conversation, it will be live on our YouTube on Wednesday next week at youtube.com slash elevate your grind. We are getting smart. We're releasing them on Mondays and Wednesdays. So check it out on YouTube. Of course, we'll be live again with you next week right here on LinkedIn and Facebook, folks. Have a great afternoon and a great weekend. We'll see you next week.